FM is a fan's field of dreams. I can hear every game. From the first pitch to the last out of the World Series. What about my hometown announcers? They're on the Sirius XM app. They built it knowing you would come. Ray, there's even an entire radio channel filled with experts talking baseball all day long. Is this heaven? No, Ray. It's MLB Network Radio, Channel 89. I'm Bob Kendrick, and welcome to Black Diamonds. The question that is so commonly posed to me by visitors at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum as they learn about Jackie Robinson was whether or not he was the best player from the Negro Leagues. The answer, no. He wasn't the best player on his own Kansas City Monarch team. There were other Negro League veterans who were better baseball players than Jackie Robinson but he absolutely was the right man to be the first. And I'll tell you why. After his death, Jackie's widow, the great Rachel Robinson, sought out Dr. Arnold Rappersad to write her husband's biography, drawing from access to his private notes and papers. Rappersad had previously written the definitive stories of such great Black Americans as W.E.B. Du Bois, Langston Hughes, and Arthur Ashe. And despite spending the first 24 years of his life growing up in Trinidad and Tobago, he had become this country's preeminent biographer of Black Americans. So as I welcome Dr. Rappersad for this important conversation on the legacy of Jackie Robinson, I must ask, how in the world did that happen? (laughs) <laughs> That's a good question. No, when I, I mean, I, I, I went to graduate school in the, in the 60s. Uh, in 1968, I started my PhD program. And, um, and I was then only three years in the United States. But one of the things I had noticed almost from the start was the state of biography. I thought that uh, there weren't a sufficient number of biographies of black Americans. And the one or two that existed um, to me, didn't do justice to to history, uh, to the people, to to America, really. So when uh, the time came for me to write a dissertation, um, I decided I would write on the the uh, American who had most Im- most profoundly impressed me, and that is W. B. Du Bois uh, and his book, The Souls of Black Folk. And so I started there, really. Um, I had done a, a book on Herman Melville before, but it wasn't a very good. In fact, it was a very bad book. Let's put it, <laughs> let's be frank about it. Um, but, but when I turned to biography and turned to the African-American subject in, in particular, my conviction that, um, that black lives were, uh, had not gotten their due either from whites or from, frankly, from black scholars, uh, who were kind of reluctant to get into full-scale biography, that I realized this is what I want to do. This I want to write biographies. I want to write biographies mainly of black Americans, and I want to try to set uh, some sta- standards if I am. I don't want to be, you know, to push myself forward too much. But I, I was conscious of uh, wanting to, to do something that no one, as far as I was concerned, had done before. Yes. And... Rachel Robinson. Oh well, again, uh, Arthur Ashe had read the um, the uh, the the Langston Hughes, and Rachel Robinson 
had <laughs> read the Arthur Ashe and the Langston Hughes <laughs> and the Du Bois, or at least she was aware of them. Um, she asked me, she said, you know, there are many books on Jackie Robinson. And in fact, if you check the, you know, the bibliography, you'll see that there are more, more books written on Jackie Robinson than I think any black American, uh, up until, uh, um, I don't know, up until maybe in the 1980s or 90s. And even then, uh, he still commanded the field, but she felt that, that the books, by and large, dealt simply with baseball, and that her husband was about more than baseball. Um, that he, what I don't know what more than baseball. I never knew what that meant exactly. I never let it influence me too much. But I always wanted to write about the life from the beginning to the end, the childhood, the growing up in Pasadena, the, uh, going to UCLA, going into the army being court-martialed. I wanted. I thought everything before uh, going to Montreal and then going to Abbotsfield with, with the Dodgers, all of that was very important. And then after he left baseball in 1957, um, he, he got sick almost immediately with the, the disease, diabetes, that would eventually kill him. But he led a very important life, a very productive life. He believed in service to others, whether it was through business um, or through uh, simple example, leadership by example. Uh, so I wanted to get into all of that down to the very end when he um, he dies, essentially from diabetes, um, you know, too early, way too early. Yeah, no, indeed, way too early. And Jackie's story, for me, is obviously very profound. But in so many levels, it's quite complicated. And we look at it, obviously, Doc, from his start in professional baseball here in Kansas City. Yes. Where so many folks still to this day don't realize that one of America's and maybe arguably America's greatest hero, Jackie Robinson's professional baseball roots, began right here in Kansas City with yeah. the great Kansas City Monarchs. Absolutely. I mean, it was, it was by accident, too, you know, because baseball was the least of Jackie Robinson's four sports. <laughs> I mean, he led it in four sports at UCLA, uh, at long jump. Uh, he was a tremendous basketball player. He was an even greater, perhaps, uh, running back. So, and but ba- in baseball, he struggled a lot. But he had, you know, as we know, tremendous gifts. Um, and again, there was something providential almost about how he happened to be uh, on a field, you know, in, in Kansas City. A ball rolls through it and he picks it up and he throws it to the, to, you know, to the, the 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 player, and they begin to talk, and and eventually he becomes, you know, a monarch. And and um, and, and and it is that's one year. And uh, and at the same time, there's a man named Branch Rickey who is looking to bring a black man into baseball. And uh, the two things just come together, as I say, almost providentially. And he decides after a careful examination that Robinson was the man, even though uh, the Monarchs and, and Negro Leagues in, in general had tremendous stars. I mean, some people would say Robinson was among the lesser stars. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I think that is oftentimes said because of what you touched on, 
he didn't have a lot of baseball experience. No, he did not. And, and so the player that you're referencing is the great Hilton Smith. Hilton Smith was a star pitcher here for the Kansas City Monarchs. And Hilton Smith and Satchel Paige were teammates. And Hilton were, had the, and again, misfortune is not really the right word. But if you knew Satchel, when Satchel walked into the room, <laughs> everybody knew Satchel was in the room. And, and Hilton Smith was the polar opposite. Very quiet, very workmanlike. Hilton Smith had gone to Prairie View A&M, had gone to college there. Hilton Smith had one of the greatest curveballs mm. that this sport has ever seen. Buck O'Neill says the greatest curveball he yeah. ever saw. The legendary Monty Irvin said you could know his curveball was coming and the break on it was so sharp you still couldn't hit it. Well, <laughs> Hilton Smith would recommend Jackie Robinson for this tryout. And, and they try him out. And he makes the team. But when we go back to 1945, the Monarchs roster dock had been decimated by mm. World War II. Right. So the great Buck O'Neill was in the Navy. Henry Thompson, who would integrate two professional baseball teams. He's the only player to hold that distinction. He would integrate the St. Louis Browns and the New York Giants. So he's with the New York Giants even before the great Monty Irvin and Willie Mays get there. As a matter of fact, the three of them formed the major's first all-black outfield. Even though Henry Thompson was a great middle infielder, uh, third baseman, played, uh, but played all the infield spots, he's in the Army. The Hall of Famer, Willard Brown, who got his nickname Home Run Brown from the legendary Josh Gibson, so now, if Josh Gibson nicknamed, nicknamed you Home Run Brown, you must have some power. Well, he is in the National Baseball Hall of Fame, great outfielder. He's in the Army. And Ted Strong, and to put it in perspective, Ted Strong, for those who are baseball fans, Ted Strong was Dave Winfield before we ever knew who uh -huh. Dave Winfield was. He was 6'7". He played every position except for pitch and catcher. He was a 6'7 shortstop, just a freakish athlete, starred for the Harlem Globetrotters. He's in the Army. And, and quite frankly, if the Monarchs have their full contingent, roster contingent, Jackie would never get asked to join <laughs> the Monarchs. And, and how would history have been altered. And so the question is, why Jackie? That's a very good question. But one thing you have to, to, to know is that uh, uh, Ricky took the business of choosing a, a, a player very carefully. When he, when he was told that there was this man, J Jackie Robinson, who just might be the right person, he sent out three different scouts, none of, none of whom knew that the other two were operating for observing Jackie Robinson. And independently, they sent back reports. He wanted to know uh, 
can he run, can he hit, and, and so on. Um, and then he began a background check on, on Jackie Robinson because he knew what the first black uh, player in Major League Baseball would, would, would face. Um, so he found out all about uh, Jackie's time at, at uh, in Pasadena. He knew about Jackie's arrests for resisting police authority <laughs> um, when he was a young man. He knew about Jackie's court-martial, uh, again, for resisting uh, arrest, really, um, on a, a bus in, when, when he was a second lieutenant in the Army, and his court-martial exonerations. He knew all about those things. And, and I think they, 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 um, they encouraged him to pick Jackie Robinson because um, he was battle-tested, as it were. Um, he had shown a desire to, you know, to to uh, to end Jim Crow, um, and and also he had um, played with with whites virtually all his life. So being on a white team and being and uh, playing against a team's predominantly white, those would not awe him. They would not make him cower because it was that was just coming naturally to him. And he liked also that Jackie was <laughs> had nothing to do with baseball. I think he liked Jackie. That Jackie was religious. That Jackie was a Methodist as he was, um, and because Jackie, through his mother, took his religion very very seriously. So on the whole, and then then he so he sends Clyde Sukforth um, out to bring in Jackie Robinson from I think the, the Monarchs were maybe in Chicago at that time, uh-huh. and uh, so so he comes. They meet and and uh, and I think Ricky knows almost immediately knows at once that this is the person he would like to join the Dodgers and make some impact, in fact, on American history. So that's a kind of a complicated uh, response to your question, but I, 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 it, was a, it was a difficult matter choosing the, you know, yeah. the, uh, the right person. It is fascinating on so many levels, but the brilliance in which Jackie played this game, having very little baseball ability, is, is something that still is very captivating. It's a mystery. It's a, total, it's a mystery, except for the fact that he was always, whenever he took up anything, it seems he was a, he was a star athlete. Um, but, you know, when you talk about, um, you know, Jackie and his value to the Monarchs, as well, the way he was perceived, his, his ability, um, I, I always remember how uh, critical baseball people, especially well, white baseball people, were of, of him and how little chance they gave him of making it in the majors. Um, the the uh, I'm just looking at something I wrote. Uh, the, the commissioner of the minor league base of minor league baseball called Ricky a carpetbagger. It is those <laughs> of the carpetbagger stripe of the white race under the guise of helping, but in truth using the Negro for their selfish interests who retard the race. But the Bible of of baseball, I write, the Sporting News declared that Robinson were he white and seven years younger would be a C-class player at best. Bob Feller, the pitcher, the mighty pitcher, the great pitcher, uh, who had once pitched to Robinson, agreed. Robinson had football shoulders that were too tied up. He, quote, could not hit an inside pitch to save his neck. And I always like to point out that Feller and Robinson entered the Hall of Fame on the same day. <laughs> 
A Daily News columnist declared that Robinson, quote, will not make the grade in the big leagues next year or the next if percentages mean anything. Robinson is a 1,000 to one shot to make the grade. That was the way he was perceived. He um, he was fighting against the odds. I mean, you, you mentioned the business of age, and he was, like, what, 27 when he... 27, 28 years old, yeah. 28, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he's old by baseball standards, and, and he defied all of the odds. Yeah. As a matter of fact, when I talked to those who were teammates of his, Connie Johnson, Jim Lefter, the Mark, who I got to know, they were teammates of his here in Kansas City. And when Jackie comes to Kansas City, there was not a lot of fanfare about him joining the Monarchs. No. He was just another ball player trying to make the team. No. And, and as you mentioned earlier, when he got to Chicago, he disappeared. They had no idea where he was. Yeah, they had no idea where Jackie was off to. And, and of course, I heard this from Branch Ricky III that his grandfather and Jackie, when they meet, it took, the meeting was about three hours long. And in a span of three hours, two strong-willed individuals yes, yes, came yes. to one accord because Ricky had to trust that this natural-born fighter wouldn't fight back. Jackie was a fighter. As Buck would say, Jackie Robinson could Duke and would Duke. He'd knock you on your rim. And Rick, Ricky had to trust that this natural-born fighter wouldn't fight back because if you fight back, experiment is over. And then Jackie Robinson got to trust this white man that he just laid eyes on that he wasn't going to get left out there hung to dry. And in a span of three hours, these two strong-willed individuals come to one accord and it literally changes the course of American history. It does. It changes the course of American history. If you have to pick one person, one event that changed the course of American racial history, um, I'm sure there are others you can think of, but Jackie's uh, victory, triumph in baseball uh, was certainly up there with uh, the, uh, the, the, the most important. Yeah. And I, I, what I always say is that, you know, that you had had, you know, journalists before and you had this person and that person and so on. But baseball was so important to American culture, especially then. It was so intimate a part of, uh, of American life, especially the lives of men, but also women and children. Uh, that when this man who is supposed to fail because he's from a certain race, not only succeeds, but succeed with unusual flair, panache, brilliance, you know, resilience, uh, and so on, uh, and, and also looks the part. It's just a, it's, it's just a dream success, really. And, um, I'm sure, uh, you know, Ricky deserves, I, I think, a, a lot of praise, but of course, Jackie deserves the greatest praise because he took everything on his shoulders and he, and he, uh, he fought his way through in his own way, one way or, uh, you know, a nonviolent way and then slightly more, uh, <laughs> not violent, but uh, slightly more assertive way later on. So, yes, yes. to him. Jackie, the man. Fairly complicated in many ways. Very complicated. Was, yeah. were, are there any misperceptions or misconceptions that 
you think people have about Jackie that you found to be different in, in your work telling his story? Well, I mean, he was complicated. I mean, you could even look to his politics and 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 uh, and just point out that the man was a Republican. <laughs> uh, but in those days, of course, Republicans were somewhat different. You had a person like Nelson Rockefeller. He was not for Kennedy. Uh, Jack no, was. no, no. The Kennedys were not the Kennedys in the in the late fifties. Uh, the liberalism was something that came on. Uh, somewhat later, uh, the fierce liberalism, I should, I should say, perhaps. Um, I don't know. The one thing that I stressed at one point is um, that people talked about Robinson as a as a violent man, and 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 in that beautiful movie, um, I liked the movie very much. I mean, I wasn't a part of it in any way. Um, you have that scene where, where um, Jackie is in the dugout and he, or not a dugout, but in a kind of passageway and he uh-huh. takes a bat and smashes yes. to the ground and which reflects something that was said in his, one of his autobiographies, but the autobiography was ghost written. Um, I think Robinson had a temper. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Oh, no good. Um, no question. He had an ability as a fighter. He could have been a, you know, there's a wonderful photograph that you know only too well with him with uh, Joe Louis, Louis um, and and, um, and you see that they're really, you know, peas from the same part in some respects. But there are so many stories about uh, Robinson hitting people, punching people in the mouth and sort of knocking out teeth. Um, uh, but I think it's important just to say that, well, we, we have no documentation of any of that. We have Robinson with a temper. We have Robinson willing to fight. Um, but uh, for some reason, I think it's important just to, to emphasize more his restraint than his... Uh, yes, yes. I mean, which calls upon all kinds of moral reserves and and and, and reserves in, of poise and and so on. Um, so that's one thing that I I um, uh, like to point out. Uh, and and the stories come from all sorts of directions, and and some of them you think uh, are unimpeachable. But in fact, if you look more closely, you see they're very impeachable. It's this, the vision of Jackie as a violent person. And that's one thing I think that Rachel Robinson wanted uh, erased. Not that she gave it to me as a charge or anything like that. And I don't accept charges of that kind. I just, I, 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 you know, I write what I see. Um, but um, he, he, he was uh, simply um, a man who, 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 uh, prized self-control and he exhibited again and again and again and in that way uh, as well as because of his brilliance as an athlete his flair as an athlete um, he was able to carry out uh, his wishes and and also Ricky's wishes yeah and, and you know the other thing that I find so interesting is how he was perceived in the black community because there was this kind of falling in and falling out of love with Jackie for the very reason that you mentioned, the political stance. And so, as you know, Jackie Robinson's breaking of the color barrier for black folks 
was equivalent to the first man landing on the moon. It was complete right. euphoria. Right. And, and, and then over some time, that started to change because of his political stance. Because of his, uh, I mean, especially when he started writing columns um, after he left baseball. Um, uh, I'm looking again at something that I've written, if you pardon my use of... Yeah, no, 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 that's fine. ...material. Um, he had a column in the Amsterdam News and another columnist in the Amsterdam, Amsterdam News uh, reserved one New Year's wish for Jackie Robinson uh, that he would be, he would get, a, quote, a machine to end all feuds because Jackie seemed to live by feuds. <laughs> Um, and I say, say that he he, um, he feuded publicly with, among other people, John, uh, John F. Kennedy, Barry Goldwater, Richard Nixon, after supporting him against Kennedy in 1960, uh, Robert Kennedy, although he sometimes praised him, Adam Clayton Powell, although he know, admired Powell's civil rights record, uh, Malcolm X, <laughs> Uh, although J uh, Jackie admired uh, Malcolm's intelligence. James Farmer, of course, uh, he attacked Stokely Carmichael, H. Rap <laughs> Brown of SNCC, uh, William F. Buckley Jr., uh, and even Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> himself, even though no one was, a, was, a, was a more appreciative of what Robertson had achieved than, than King, and also Roy Wilkins. Um, so he was not afraid to take people on. Uh, maybe he did it. Maybe he overdid it. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. But you're right that many people looked askance at him after a while because of his politics, especially. Well, and, and particularly when we talk about black folks, because I tell people all the time as a kid growing up in the South, there were three pictures hanging on virtually every black person's house in the South. And that was a picture of Jesus, <laughs> John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King Jr. and Jesus. <laughs> and, and here Jackie, yeah. Jackie had offended with two of those three. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Martin Luther King Jr. saw the world of, of, uh, of Jackie yes. Robinson. Yes. He, believed, he believed that what Robinson did in 46 and 47, the way he did it was a model for activist civil rights you know, uh, leaders to, to follow uh, yes. the business of, of uh, you know, taking it, standing up and asserting yourself and, and asserting your personal and your, your, if you want to call it racial style, your dignity, whatever. Um, he saw that as the perfect model and he said so. And he, um, he defended Robinson um, at, at various times when people questioned his right to uh, to enter into that world that was outside, not to stay in his lane, as it were, not to yes, keep dribbling. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, you know, yes. King said, no, 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 he earned, uh, Jackie earned the right to to basically take the, you know, the the, the, the path he, he decided to take, even if you don't like it. Exactly. Right. Jackie, I think, as you might we agree, having done so much research on him, Jackie didn't like the fact that he had to play in a Negro League. And obviously the conditions of Jim Crow and everything that these players had to endure, the indignities that they had to endure playing this game, 
did not sit well with him. No, no. He wasn't accustomed to it. I mean, it, I mean, there was you know discrimination and prejudice in, in in Pasadena and Los Angeles, no doubt about that. But he hadn't grown up with it, so it was always it was a daily insult to him to have to to you know to play in this world. And perhaps it made him a little snooty. I don't know. And dealing with his 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 teammates, but I think that's why he he, he went so boldly and such such dedication, such. Uh, a spirit of self-sacrifice into uh, Ricky's uh, noble experiment, if you yes. want to call it that. Yes. Well, and, and that's what I gained from the players that knew him as teammates with the Kansas City Royals is that they knew that Jackie was different than they were. And you could see it in everything that he did. He He was just different. And in the film 42, and it's a story that, the late great Buck O'Neill shared on many occasions. And it's a story where they go to, they had just finished the game and they go to the filling station and the attendant greets them. Right. And, you know, you guys played a great, you know, you boys played a great game and filled up the ballpark as you usually do, put the hose in the tank. Jackie gets off the bus, starts walking toward the restroom. <laughs> Boy, where are you going? He said, I'm going to the restroom. He says, Boy, you know you can't go to that restroom. Jackie's response was, take the hose out the tank. Right. Now, as Buck would say, the man thought about this. The Monarchs had a 50-gallon tank on one side, a 50-gallon tank on the other side. <laughs> He's not going to sell that much gasoline to any one customer until they came back to town. You know what the attendant said? You boys go to the restroom, but don't stay long. And so this <laughs> uh, I didn't know that thing about the, the, the amount of gas that was uh, on, a, on that, uh, that bus, a uh, hundred gallons. Eh? Yeah, that's a hundred gallons of gas. And, and so the, the idea that America is a capitalistic society and that you're taking some things that maybe you don't have to take right. is what he brought to them during that short period that he was with the club. And that to me is, it speaks volume to the fact that, again, you had to have the right guy. Mm -hmm. And yes, there were other players who were better baseball players than Jackie Robinson, Mm -hmm. but this is just not about baseball. Mm -hmm. You had to have the complete package. And Jackie had everything that you needed to succeed at that level. That doesn't mean that there weren't other players in the Negro Leagues who could have done it, but you got to be right. You right. have to be right. Dr. Arnold Raffersad. Arnold would do. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, when we set this up for me to talk to you, the first thing I told my guys is, I'm not smart enough to talk to this brilliant man. No, so thank no. you. Thank you for helping me feel smarter than I am. And, but being so generous with your time and so eloquent and for this profound body of work that you've left us, I appreciate you being a part of this conversation. I look forward to seeing you back here at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, hopefully sometime in the very near future. We had a wonderful time in 2019 hearing you expound on the, the tremendous life of Jackie Robinson. And so we look forward to welcoming you back sometime in the very near future. But I thank you for your time today. Well, I thank you for your time. And there were moments there when you were talking and I thought, this, 
Sky is much more interesting than, than me. <laughs> <laughs> I should be interviewing him. I should be writing a book on it. <laughs> so, but so I, I thank you. Thank you, Dr. Rappersad. Next on Black Diamonds, a chat with Chicago White Sox Executive Vice President Kenny Williams about the legacy of Andrew Ruth Foster. If you enjoyed these stories and want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. Black Diamonds is also available on the SiriusXM app, free for most subscribers. Just download it today and tap podcast. For more information on the Negro Leagues and the legends of the game, please check out our website, nlbm.com, and follow us on Twitter at NLBMuseumKC. Black Diamonds is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network and is hosted by me, Bob Kendrick, president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Additional voiceovers provided by Darnio Samuels. Editing and sound design by Rob Moore. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen, and Vice President of Sports Programming, Chris Eno. SiriusXM Podcasts.